Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. The best of 1997. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Guild of Films podcast. This is Christian. How y'all doing? Hopefully you've been sticking around with us as we talked in our last episode about the Best Picture winner and nominees from 1997. That was the 70th Academy Awards and the big winner of the night. It didn't sink anything. It sunk. It sunk the competition. There you go. It was Titanic. Um, we all loved it. We all agreed that it should have won. Please listen to that episode. It's I don't even know how long it is. It's probably super long because we got really into Titanic. OK, great movie. But anyway, um, we're not talking about that tonight for now. Instead, we're going to be doing our usual spiel where we talk about some of our favorite films that were nominated for things. And then it looks like from my list here a lot that was not nominated, but maybe should have gotten some things. So anyway, welcome back to me. Hi. And Brett. Hello. Hello. And hello to Toby, because you are back to help us uh, talk about some of these things. Hello. Are you excited? Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah. Um, Toby picked some good things. Brett picked some really good things. And I picked amazing things. So, you know. Uh, but yeah. Any, any other thoughts before we get into it? Not from me. I'm excited. I will say this is very hard to pick six. Because looking at the letterbox list, there's a lot of movies from 1997. And a lot that I think from the three of us, too, um, from childhood. There's a few from childhood, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Hercules. We're not even talking about Hercules or anything. We should have. But I don't know. Stuff that I grew up with watching. Amazingly, yeah, the first one that we're going to be talking about, I kind of grew up watching it. I don't know if I should have, <laughs> but... You know what? With that, you're all going to be shocked at what it is. But So let's have Brett take it away because this is the first pick of the night. Yes. Yeah. Our first pick of the night. This is one that I selected that I had not seen before, but I've wanted to watch for honestly years. Um, I just never got around to it. It is from Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights. And so this is not his PTA's debut feature film, but I think it's the one that really kind of put him on the map. I, I think it's the early one that a lot of people really associate with him. Um, it is the story of Eddie Adams, who is played by Mark Wahlberg. And he is like a 17 year old. He works as a dishwasher at a, a club, but we find out he's, he's doing some, some things on the side as well. Um, and he is discovered by Jack Horner, who is played by Burt Reynolds. And we've come to find out that he is a, an adult film director. And so Adams, he, he adopts the screen name Dirk Diggler, which is kind of awesome. And he basically dives into the world of pornographic filmmaking. And along the way, he meets a lot of different characters like Amber Waves, who's played by Julianne Moore. She's kind of like the big um, star who, who is kind of like the star of, of the porn scene. Um, Roller Girl is the name, the stage name of Heather Graham's character, who he kind of you know, it becomes acquainted with early on. Reed Rothschild, played by John C. Riley. There's a lot of people like this that all have their very 
unique um, intricacies and qualities and sometimes flaws as you know we go along too so but i i think this movie a lot of it is honestly just kind of vibing you know we're just kind of going into this world with dirk diggler and kind of experience it and we're experiencing his highs and lows but we're also experiencing the highs and lows of everybody around him um forgot to mention this takes place in like the late 70s and early 80s so i mean this is like the peak of the adult film scene um where a lot of stuff is happening and so um getting to get involved with all that and um i'll just say i was completely taken aback by this movie i enjoyed every single minute of it um and even after it ended i i keep going back to it and enjoying it more and more as time goes on so much in fact that i think this is my new favorite pta movie like i some of his movies i really love i love the master especially love there will be blood that has been the top spot for me this whole time but this one I was just so transfixed by all the characters. I was really just kind of diving into this world because of how PTA uses the camera. I mean, the very opening shot is kind of like, almost like the Copacabana scene in um, uh, Goodfellas and that it's taking us in and, um, you know, going throughout this club and like going by all the characters. It really makes us a really present viewer in the location and the narrative. Um, At first I thought it was gonna focus like kind of solely on Dirk Diggler and his journey, but I'm really glad it didn't. Um, One, because I, you know, don't always like to focus on Mark Wahlberg the whole time, but also the other characters are just so fascinating. I was really, really into Julianne Moore's character here and she's kind of going through this custody battle. And so I think what I really like most is that all these characters are very deep, they are flawed, but none of their flaws are that they are pornographic film actors. That's just something they do. And it, it never tries to shame them for that. And I really appreciate um, the way that it took that direction. And the film ends on a really high note with living thing from electric light orchestra. It's like the perfect song to end the movie and a really great soundtrack throughout the whole film. Um, yeah, I, I could go much more into it, but I want to hear y'all's thoughts because I pretty much fell in love with this movie. I mean, I have to agree because like you said, um, it's not a very, it takes you into the world um, and it introduces you to all these characters. Um, I really like Julianne Moore too. Like, that's just like, she she's introduced, you, you kind of like, you don't know who she is and the more it goes on it's like the more you like really get into her and it's like so real it's like she's like popping off the screen it's just like so that's it's like acting it's just like you know with a capital oh, a. What a picture. exactly i don't know it just <laughs> oh what a picture that's what, that's what me. like um i don't know if i liked it as much i mean i do like it but it is a very um unique movie that definitely uh, takes you through all these characters in a very interesting way that isn't what you would typically would think about like a porn scene or, you know, yeah. You know what it is? It's about finding family. <laughs> As RuPaul yes. would say, we get to choose our families. 
or something like that. I don't know. This is, <laughs> this is not to promote RuPaul. Anyway, um, <clears throat> story. Christian loves this movie, right? Um, Brett said it was like my top 10 when he first met me or something it like does. that. And you too. I don't yeah. I mean, it's good. It's in my top whatever I have now. It's, I mean, it's five stars for me. But anyway, um, really weird personal connection to this movie because I watched it when I was maybe 10 years old. Ooh. And I shouldn't have. Yeah, it was one of those discreet movies. But when IFC channel used to be a really good channel and not just show two and a half men reruns every single fucking hour of the day. OK, they used to actually show movies, uh, I think, commercial free and they're still uninterrupted and they don't edit anything. But anyway, so they showed this a lot. I would watch it always at like 10 o'clock at night when they would show it. And I liked it. And then I finally sat down a few years ago and watched like the thing in its entirety. This is before DVR existed and loved it even more. But no, it is, it's it's great. Julianne Moore is great. Mark Wahlberg is actually pretty good. The scene where he's like, I, I'm the star of the show, whatever, Dirk Diggler and Oscar little clip there. Burt Reynolds, great. Um, I really this time liked Heather Graham a lot as Roller Girl. And like her whole story, it's, it's a sad story for her, to be quite honest. But like the best shot in this if y'all watch this, please watch this movie. But it's when um, Luis Guzman is on the phone and he's like, "There's, is there a Maggie here? There's no Maggie here. And then the second that phrase ends, it cuts to Julianne Moore doing coke and stuff. And that is like, it's the most haunting image though, because outside of this whole world of pornography, she has a life, you know? Mm -hmm. I think she's honestly, you'll see where she is in my rankings, of course, but top-notch performance there. As, you know, Julianne Moore is my best friend. But um, no, it's really good. It is great, Paul Thomas Anderson stuff. And then also, I just want to point out, knowing the background of Paul Thomas Anderson and his mother and how Joanna Gleason, who plays um, Eddie's mom in this, went to Paul and was like, are you trying to say something about your mom? And he didn't respond. And she was like, okay, I got gotcha. you. Did you not read any of the fun facts? No, I didn't. No, a little bit of Eddie's story with his mom how they have that really distant relationship mm -hmm. and then you read paul thomas anderson's story about his mother same situation they were both very distant from one another yeah fascinating yeah so again it's weird and i've read this too it's weird how this is a story about family because it's definitely the family you choose type situation mm -hmm. which is i mean it's a good good thing oddly positive i guess to the porn industry but it's yeah, like it's definitely positive. Yeah, it's like the porn industry is a second story here than anything else. It just hap so happens to be where it takes place. Yeah. Could yeah. be anywhere. And as of this moment, we haven't seen licorice pizza yet, mm -hmm. unfortunately, because right. you know, circumstances and they don't want to send out screeners or whatever. <laughs> but I don't know. This I mean, for me, this is probably my number one. And only because I have that weird connection of seeing it at such an early age and being like, wow, this is a great film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, when I first watched it, I, I knew I loved it. Like it was always a, a five-star movie for me, but as time goes on, it's become in the what two weeks since I've watched it become my favorite of his. Um, and I think it's, I think it's probably the most accessible movie that I've seen of his. Um, which is funny because it is a movie about the porn industry. It's probably not one you take, home to show the family but you know it, there's not a whole lot of weirdness going on here but there are it does take interesting directions still like um there are violent scenes in this movie um there are heartbreaking scenes in this movie um and also very funny scenes in this movie 
Um, and it really combines all of them really well. And there's just a nice flow to it. And the point about the porn industry is really interesting just because, you know, some of the worst things that happen to the characters here are outside of that environment. Um, and so it's really interesting because that's obviously such a, a, a stigmatized thing, you know, the, the porn and the adult film industry that it's interesting to see it presented as kind of a solace here for some of the characters, um, especially with, you know, not going to reveal it entirely, but that last shot with Mark Wahlberg and kind of, once again, like the movie starts with us entering the club, it inserts, you know, into Jack Horner's home and circles back through everybody. And it's interesting how it comes full circle that way. You know what I was thinking about as we're talking about this? It's, um, oh, I hate this. I just forgot it. Damn it. <laughs> porn, porn. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, wow. I had such a good point too. Anyway, keep going. No, I, one other thought I had, um, I mean, we all obviously agree Julian Moore is fantastic here, but also Burt Reynolds. Um, I, I think he's great here as well. And he, you know, would probably disagree, um, you know, rest in peace. But I think that that race went perfectly because I, I think Robin Williams was the deserving performance and he won, but it seems like Burt Reynolds was the runner up. And I think that's just the perfect placement of the two because they are, they did give two of the best supporting actor performances of the year. His face says it all. It's like, he's just dead face. Like <laughs> this really like also Mark Wahlberg doesn't like this movie anymore. And he prays for himself about it. Yeah. Cause you mm. know, the content is porn. Well, I think it's his best performance possibly. I mean, either this or the departed. So that's not hard. Yeah, exactly. But that's ridiculous. So I probably had a really good point. I'm sorry. I keep emphasizing this, but damn it. <laughs> oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman also. Hey. Yeah. Always that's love like, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like young Philip Seymour Hoffman too. Yeah. Very interesting role in this movie. Very like fascinating development of that character too. But and William H. Macy, his character has a very kind of tragic arc that's also a little bit like humorous in an uncomfortable way at times. And so, I mean, every character truly has something different going on. And I think that's the real strength of the movie and the screenplay. This is like, because um, I know Paul Thomas Anderson was really influenced by um, like Robert Altman and Nashville and the whole big ensemble pieces and he really gets that down well here because he does it again in magnolia mm -hmm. i think if he were to do like another big ensemble you know i mean he's uh, he's good at it he's great yeah. at it damn you know and heavy influence by altman there yeah i love that um but this was so i will say spoiler alert none of the movies we picked won any oscars um of course part of that may be because titanic won so many of them but this one actually did get three nominations, uh, supporting actress for Julianne Moore, supporting actor for Burt Reynolds, obviously, and uh, Anderson's screenplay did get nominated. So as of now, he has not won an Oscar. Maybe that will change this year with Licorice Pizza, but we shall see. Mm. Maybe. Maybe. Going on on the limb here. He's like the most, I think he's one of the more popular this year directors i mean he is like with every movie though mm -hmm. i don't i don't know if i build up with the hype and all because i'm just like let me see the movie first because sorry friends phantom thread didn't do shit for me same yeah same. it made me mistrust mushrooms that's about it <laughs> which you could have gotten from the beguiled too 
So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Smiling. And that was Daniel Day Lewis's last movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I'm interested to see Licorice Pizza because Paul Thomas Anderson. It seems like I either love his movies or, like you said, they don't do anything for me. Like Phantom Thread and Inherent Vice. Uh, his last two just didn't do it for me. So I'm hoping he gets back on track, at least from, from my perspective with this new one. So any further thoughts on Boogie Nights before we move on to our next film? Fun for the whole family. <laughs> Absolutely. Watch show it. The, show the kids. Watch it with the family at Christmas this year. Yeah. You'll enjoy it. All right. Well, Christian, you have our next film. So go ahead and take us away here. I do. Okay, so I originally picked another film, but just after a lot of thinking, I really went to one that I should have just picked in the first place because I wanted to see it again and I wanted you two to see it. It's one that is very under the radar. Not a lot of people have seen it. Not a lot of people have heard about it. And at the time made just a a modest box office success because of a good word from the one and only Roger Ebert, which I'll get to it. But the film is Eve's Bayou, and it is directed by Tassie Lemons, who is actually, and I did not even realize this until watching it this time around, is Ardelia, Jodie Foster's friend in The Silence of the Lambs, and also um, Virginia Madsen's friend in the OG Candyman. Yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, what? What? Yeah, so she wrote and she directed this. But it is about um, little, little, because she's a girl, little girl, Eve Batiste. Uh, played by Journey Smollett, who is now like, you know, her own big named actress, last seen for me anyway in Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Um, but she lives in Creole, Louisiana, so way down south in a place called Eve's Bayou. So she's named after this um, former slave who then married a white man who freed her, had a lot of kids, passed down from generation to generation till we get to the family that is supposedly a direct descendant from that. Um, one night, Eve witnesses her father in a fling, a sexual fling with a family friend. She tells her sister what she has seen. Her sister says, no, 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 you didn't see any of that. Whatever, let's put it in the back of our heads. Um, She has an aunt played by, uh, let me get a name, oh my gosh, Debbie Morgan, Moselle Baptiste Delacroix, who is her aunt, who has the gift of second sight. So she can sort of see into not so much the future, but see uh, events that may or may not occur. Some don't come true. She might be cursed as well with a lot of her husbands dying. And she is given a warning. Well, actually her mother, Eve's mother, played by Lynn Whitfield, is given a warning to always watch her children. Something bad might happen to them. And so she keeps the children in the house until one day a young boy is hit. The children are freed, but still there's this, uh, free to go about their day because they're trapped in the house. But there's still this internal conflict of, did Eve really see what she saw? How mad is she at her father? But then it turns out that her sister, oh, see, this is why I get names. Cecily, played by Megan Good, her sister may or may not have had a weird near sexual encounter with their father. Again, the big theme of like, did I see this, did I not, is very prevalent in this film. Their father played by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, But did this occur? When Eve learns of this, she really wants to get revenge on her father because she knows if this happened, what she had seen earlier in the film might have happened. So it just goes from there, basically. Um, She meets 
a local woman who, much like her aunt, has the gift of second sight, but uses it in a more voodoo hoodoo type way. Um, I won't say how this ends because this is definitely one film that people should watch. Um, I really liked it, of course. That's why I picked it. To me on the second time, I really focused on the dialogue of the whole thing. I could definitely get like a feeling of Southern Gothic almost. And there's narration, not throughout the whole thing, but the beginning and the end, which felt very like To Kill a Mockingbird, Scout narrating this piece, especially with Eve, who's the, it, the obviously the titular character here, but it's all seen through her eyes. Um, it's a very good movie. It's another family. It's not a family, family movie, but it's a family dynamics of keeping a family together through their own internal strife, grief, especially. Um, but yeah, I really liked it this time. I liked it more this time than I did the first time. First time, I'm not sure exactly what I was getting into. This time I had a bit of an idea. Um, all the performances are great in this. Journey Smollett is terrific. Child acting performances, yeah, top notch there. And Debbie Morgan as her aunt is very good as well. Um, what else do I wanna say about this? Oh. Yeah, Roger Ebert, this is his number one film of the year, of 1997. Yeah, so oh. there you go. He's the reason why this made a, like, a, I think 13 or so million dollars over its $3 million. Yeah, so if you can seek this out, definitely it's on HBO Max, um, and especially one made by a um, black female director. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Um, I don't think she, what has she made? Cassie Lemons. Sorry. Harriet. She made Harriet. Yes. Because mm -hmm. when I told that to Toby, he was like, wait, what? And yeah. Um, the miniseries about Madame C.J. Walker. Didn't that like Octavia in that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's the, worked with Octavia last year. The big one is the one she has coming up in 2022. Uh, the title, I Want to Dance with Somebody. I think we all know who that's about. So I didn't know this. Yeah, I didn't either. I found this out while you were talking. So I was, yeah, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see that when it comes out next year. Interesting. So yeah, she is, it looks like she's pretty much moved into the director seat now, which is great, you know. But yeah, that is Eve's Bayou. So I know both of you haven't seen this. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Correct. Go ahead. Yeah. I, um, I, I was really glad you picked this one because it was one that I had on my list, but wasn't totally sure if I would get to. Um, and I was really fascinated by it. if it's not, it, it's not right there among my very favorites of the year, but it's perhaps one of the most fascinating movies of the year, just because it is so different and interesting. Like on one hand, yes, it is this story of family dynamics in, um, you know, the bayou, but it's also very mythical. Um, th this kind of like mystic nature has a huge presence in the movie. And th this, like you were talking about this idea of memory is just really, really interesting to me. Um, especially, you know, it, it, I think it just becomes even more interesting when it comes to the, um, the incident between um, the older sister Cecily and their father. I mean that, and the way that all comes about and the way that it, that storyline develops is really interesting. And, and I think a really fascinating, you know, take on that topic, like you said, I don't want to go too deep into that because I think it's one that you kind of have to, to watch and kind of witness and experience, but um, this is absolutely something that I would have expected to be like based on a book um, but you know, Cassie Lemons wrote it. 
Um, like she wrote the screenplay. It was original. And so I was just as fascinated by her or impressed by her writing as, as her direction, um, because it is a very inventive screenplay. Um, especially with this being her first narrative feature. I, I don't know her process, but I imagine it's something that she was pretty invested in. And that definitely comes through, I think in the final product, but really interesting to watch this right now with journey Smollett kind of becoming a star. Um, you mentioned birds of prey. I haven't seen it, but I know she's in Lovecraft country and, and that show is kind of a big deal for a while. Um, so she is really kind of coming into her own, but I agree. She's fantastic here. I mean, really strong child performance. She is so easy to just follow and enjoy following, um, uh, despite some of the things that she, she has to witness. And so just being alongside her throughout this journey as she encounters all the characters is really fascinating, but I really love Debbie Morgan in this too. I mean, this is definitely one of my favorite supporting performances from the year. I think she has such this mysterious and, and heartbreaking nature. You know, she's this woman who has had like four husbands and all of them have died. Uh, so she's been widowed all this so many times and she feels that she's cursed and she just has a really interesting dynamic in the movie as well, especially her relation to the children and their father, because she is his sister. Um, and like you said, the, the setting comes through perfectly. Um, so easy to tell that this is taking place in you know, Southern Louisiana and the bayou and the, the sense of place in the film, in the film is almost kind of like its own character too. So I always love when that is part of a film. So really glad you picked this. It's a fascinating movie. Would definitely recommend anybody to watch it. Um, cause there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I have to agree about pretty much everything. I mean, Debbie Morgan, um, is like the, the performance of the movie. It's like, um, what really drew me in, but like you said at the end there, like it's really kind of a journey and it, um, the way the story progresses, it's really says a lot about, um, her writing, in the screenplay because it's just like um it didn't go where I was expecting at all and in the best way um I feel like it could have kind of felt more meandering but it was more like we are um following Eve and her aunt and their family and it's just like this story that kept me captivated right definitely a good screenplay I like the title of this too, because Eve's Bayou obviously being like the town it's set in, but you can also read it as Eve, the main character, her world. This is her world that we're going to be viewing into. Exactly. And her, yeah. you know, the world of this doesn't really go that far, if you think about it, because it goes from her house, her the land that they live on, to the small town and the market, and that's about it. Everything else is set within a pretty... I'm assuming very small square footage around here, but I mean, there's not, I mean, there's not much to it. It's a bayou and some people live on the water. Some people live in the houses, you know, again, it's from her point of view, child performance. Brett knows I love a good child performance when they can do really well. And this is one of them. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Also her brother is in it too. Um, right. Who I assume is her brother, Jake Smollett. Yeah. Um, you know, it's players. like the more I looked, the more I looked at them, the more I was like, oh yeah, they're related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I agree, especially with, with Journey and and Megan Good as well. You know, she's she's more of like teenage um, age here, but um, she does some strong work as well. I also want to say um, Samuel L. Jackson does a good job here too. And it's kind of interesting that he is, I guess, the superstar A-lister in this movie. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, again, it's like a low budget independent film, but like to take that, the option of being in this, even because his scenes are very, very brief. Like yeah. he's in the cameo style in here, but he's also really good. And it just, it's heartbreaking that the stuff that he has to go through, but also like, obviously questionable the things he goes through as well yeah yeah there's a balance here and i I don't think i'm revealing too much here but he is at times menacing um and kind of like an underlying way while also being a charismatic figure um Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a fine line to walk with that performance and he does really really well And then Diane Carroll as well. She she's the one that I totally forgot her name at the moment. But um, Diane Carroll plays the again, like the town mystic. She can read the future, read minds. And she has sort of this rivalry, you would think, with um, Debbie Morgan's character. Mm -hmm. So but she quote unquote helps Eve. I wouldn't know if you want to say help or. Yeah. (laughs) Again, this is a movie where it's like we spoil every movie, but one like this where not a whole lot of folks have seen it. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. And this is one um, that that didn't get recognized whatsoever by the Oscars. So really is kind of that more smaller, lower budget. But um, the influence of Roger Ebert, that's like, that's something that doesn't exist anymore. Um, I, I don't think there's another film critic out there where they can say like, go see this little movie and it's going to make, you know, $13 million. That's just, that kind of speaks to his, his influence and his presence. A couple times recently about Roger. He's done that a few times at, at least. They, yeah. Because yeah. they mentioned that in the podcast that came out about mm-hmm. him and Siskel this past year too, that yeah. they would take like low budget independent films. Nobody's heard of and make names out of them. Right. And again, Which if you, awesome. if, you're, if you do have HBO max, it is on there. Yes, yes, definitely. Also, um, I, I do want to say some of the random acc- accolades that this got, but Journey Smollett won the uh, Film Critics Association for Best Child Performance. Cassie Lemons won the National Board of Review for Directorial Debut. And Debbie Morgan won Chicago Film Critics for Supporting Actress. Also think she, yeah, she also won the Independent Spirit Award, as well as the Film One First Feature there. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad that somebody appreciated it and recognized it. Right. So perfect. Any further thoughts on Eve's Bayou before we go on to our next film? Definitely check it out. Absolutely. All right. Well, Toby has our next one. So Toby, go ahead and take it away there. Okay. Um, So my first pick is uh, called The Game. It's, of course, directed by uh, David Fincher stars uh, Michael Douglas as Nicholas Van Orton, who is a, uh, a banker. He's pretty rich. He has like you know, housekeepers and stuff. And he, he mostly sticks to himself. He, um, he's a shut-in, I guess you would call it. Um, but for his birthday, his brother, who, um, who is Sean Penn, decides to gift him a game um, from this mysterious company um, where he has to figure out these clues 
um, to figure out the ending of the game, where it's located, the ending of this game. Um, and it's a very elaborate game because it takes place um, in the real world, um, going to real locations. He meets um, some people. And what I kind of like about this a lot is that it really keeps you questioning what's real, what's not real. Um, is this a real game? Is this not a real game? Because one second it's like, oh yeah, this is maybe. And then the next second it takes something away and you're like, what's going on? Um, but he meets, um, I think her name is Christine, who's portrayed by Deborah Kara Unger um, along the way. Um, and that's kind of like the big um, person from the game he kind of interacts with. And um, her performance there is another thing that makes you question um, this game a lot. So um, I picked this because when I watched it the first time, uh, I was kind of captivated by it. And I've seen it like a couple times since then. And even though I know it's happening, um, I personally find it to be just as thrilling with every watch um, because there are kind of smaller details. Um, it is kind of a thriller sort of movie. Um, and I feel like it's one of, uh, personally, it's one of my favorite David Fincher movies. Uh, there are some flaws with it, of course, but yeah, I really enjoy it. I like it a lot. Um... I'm only going first because I know Brett's rating and thoughts on this. But anyway, so I watched this back and like, I always like telling people when I watch things for the first time, you know, it's a theme. But anyway, I watched this for the first time back in like 2013 and it was a double feature between this and Panic Room. And if any of you out there have seen Panic Room, which I highly suggested, I suggest both of these, they're two of the most stressful fucking movies in the world. Okay. I was stressed out the entire first time I watched this. Second time, only being my second time watching this, I'm, I was kind of stressed out because I forgot everything that was going on. I knew the ending. It's very, this is another movie where I don't want to spoil it. Everybody watches David Fincher movies. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's on Netflix too. So boom, it look, accessibility. Yep. yeah, accessibility. Um, like Toby said, there is a lot of questioning of like, what the hell is going on? Do I, you know what? Do I trust anybody in this movie? Michael Douglas, do I even trust myself? What is going on? What is the levels of the, it, the levels, the layers of this game? Okay. There's so much happening in this. It's a real eye opener. Um, definitely a thriller, mystery, dark, twisted as hell. And if you've ever seen the movie Game Night from a few years ago, that is a funny remake of this movie. <laughs> and I'm putting two and two together here. It was kind of weird. Um, I'm also reading off of Toby's notes here, make sure I covered everything. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, I think it's a great David Fincher movie, okay? Some of his other movies, Mank, um, are not the best (laughs) or not very favorable, but this is great. It's quality, and if you've never seen it, Netflix. Yes. All right. David Fincher makes good movies. And I know I'm going to get a comment from our good friend John about Mank, so. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, John. I like Mank as well, but I don't love it. So, and I I will say that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Um, I do like this movie. I I did have a pretty fun time with it. I definitely don't love it. Um, But it's kind of, it's kind of a balance between what I really liked and what I didn't always like. I'll, 
I'll just get the stuff I didn't like out of the way first. So I, I don't know. The whole time I was kind of stuck in this like internal debate of like all this that's happening. Is this like fascinating and like, you know, really leading to something or is this a little bit silly? Um, and so I, I, I kept, I think a big part of why I don't love this movie is because the ending and the big reveal, which I will not reveal just didn't work for me. Um, I, I think that's, that's a big part of how you walk away from this movie. And I do see how it could work for, for a lot of people. But for me, it was just kind of like, oh, um, and I, especially, I don't know, I can't go further without spoiling things, but when you think about Michael Douglas's character and the things that he's experienced in his past and what eventually leads to the end of the game, I was just like, I, I don't know if the message this is trying to give is coming through as successfully. Um, well, I mean, just real quick. I mean, it doesn't work for David Fincher either because he doesn't personally like the ending of the movie. He he regrets the movie now. So. Oh, interesting. He, he didn't get me. He didn't. It doesn't end the way he wanted it to end. Gotcha. It has something to do with like the producers and um, the company who made it. It's yeah. Gotcha. But, yeah, yeah. It's not the ending that he wanted, but. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the film is like trying to see um, why we should care about Michael Douglas's character. Um, yeah. And I think that's why they approach the ending they do. And I totally mm -hmm. understand that. So I can't fault it too much for that. It was just one of those that just like, for me personally, it didn't land. I also right. give the film credit by saying like, I really don't know how I want it to end. Um, I, I definitely want to be surprised and shocked. And, and in some ways I was, but in a different way but that that was kind of the main thing for me i i just found it that balance in between of like trying to find like is this something serious or is it just like something silly and then the ending and it all didn't really come together for me the way that really worked but what i did like about it is despite all of that and despite the internal struggle the whole time it's captivating like it's kind of impossible to not be captivated by the movie and want to know where is all this going to lead? Um, and the various characters that come in and out definitely play a role in that. I, I think, you know, Christine and, um, you know, Deborah Kara Unger's character plays a big role in that, like you mentioned, Toby. Um, mm -hmm. So I enjoyed that aspect. I do think it is kind of a credit to um, David Fincher's direction to take a script that I did find some places I didn't really like, but still just keep me, very entranced the entire time. Um, and I will say that Michael Douglas, this is a role that he was probably born to play. I mean, he obviously did Wall Street and he just, who else could do, I mean, other people could do these roles, sure. But like Michael Douglas fits in perfectly. I think he gives a great performance here um, and really sells some of that fear and, and whatnot really well. Um, so I, this is one that, it's, it's one that, like I said, I like, I don't love, but I would definitely easily recommend because I could see a lot of people enjoying it and having a good time with it some way or another. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I do agree. I think you said this in your review that um, Michael Douglas's character is like hard to like. And it's like by the end of it, you're like, is he really learning anything from this? Because you don't really see him learn anything from. Spoiler alert, but you don't really see him learn anything from the game. 
I think if, the, whatever it is. I think the game fucks them up too much to even yeah, learn it's going, anything. Yeah, it's going so quickly and it's going so <laughs> traumatically that, you know, yeah. maybe it is too hard to learn something, but he doesn't like, um, yeah. Tell the listeners who originally was in the Sean Penn role. Apparently Jodie Foster was supposed to be his sibling, but she wanted to be his daughter and David Fincher didn't like that, didn't like that idea. So she sued and it was still out of court, but yeah, she wanted to be his daughter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, typically after Panic Room. It's before Panic Room. Oh. But in the Panic Room situation, she got that role because Nicole Kidman had to drop out because she had injuries from Moulin Rouge. So I wouldn't believe though that David's like, hey, I owe somebody a favor. <laughs> right. But it's like the more the more we watched it and the more I knew that fact, I'm like, it'd have been interesting to see Jodie Foster in there being like, show dad, how's the game going? <laughs> I guess Michael Douglas also thought he was too, they were too close in age, but they had played like a father and daughter role before. I don't know. <laughs> Fascinating. Sean Penn's fine. He's there, you know. Yeah, yeah it's not a big role. It's he was like in the room. Yeah, agreed. I, I was glad to check it out, though, because David Fincher is a director that I, I really like the work I've seen from him, but I have a lot of Fincher blind spots. So I've seen all of his feature films. Yes, you have. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially his earlier work. Hunter, I think it's called. That's a good show. Oh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Oh, yeah. yeah, that looks really good. Uh, another fun fact, I guess. Um, the man who plays their their father's voice is the man who um, has vo- been voicing Mario since the nineties. Like the character, Chris Pratt. <laughs> Charles. That's just that was a fun. Fact. Charles Mart- Martinet. Martinet. Yes. Hmm. That's a little layer. Fascinating. <laughs> the fact over? the fact that anybody would go through this whole game and like this company would go so deep as to infiltrate your house, put cameras in it, like. That's some fucked up shit. And like all these, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it must have cost a lot of money to. That's the one thing I like about Fincher's movies. Well, again, not Mank, but uh, they're very stressful. They Mm -hmm. make you on the edge of your street. Even like Alien, what did he make? Alien Alien Three, which he doesn't talk about, you know. But (laughs) it's decent. It's yeah. I mean, I don't remember it, but like World. Well, no, he didn't make World War Z, but he almost did. Uh, Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you really want just like a stress-induced night, Panic Room, double feature with this. Yes. Yeah. Might be too much. Because we watched Panic Room <laughs> about a couple days after this, and that was something. Interesting. Yeah. That's one of my blind spots. So that's one I need to cover. I also like, and I get that, look, I get this movie set at like two in the morning. But I like the loneliness of the feeling of this. Okay. It feels like he's very much alone in this. Most of it takes mm. place at night. Um, San Francisco, I guess, is a very quiet city. So it's him. It's him it's, in the streets. It's weirdly al- like he's alone and he's like out in the streets. And it's like he's playing this game. And you often, I often forgot that he was like, he's just in like the street where people are walking and mm-hmm. in buildings that people can access. It's not like a, um, a game where it's like there's like a room where the game takes place right or like go from location a location b right yeah 
Yeah, that's interesting. That that's a really interesting point. The loneliness factor. That's something that's definitely felt that I hadn't considered. So it's a very lonely birthday. <laughs> but yeah, that's another one that did not did not get any Oscar love, um, which is kind of like in some ways PTA is kind of a trend for David Fincher. Um, in some ways he's had his Oscar love before, but, um, a lot of his movies haven't gotten much or any, so he's been super close. Yeah. Very close. All right. Any final thoughts on that one before we move on to our next film? Um, I guess like when you, if you're watching it, like kind of looking, kind of look for details. Um, cause if one little thing is like CRS appears like quite a bit in the movie, you just kind of kind of look for it. Oh, interesting. Seriously, though, look for the CRS because it's, yeah, everywhere. Yep. Very nice. Well, Toby, you actually have our next movie as well. So, would you like to take us away on that one? Yes. And um, my next one is Happy Together. Um, excuse the names because I'm not entirely 100%. It's directed by Wong Karwai. That about right yeah i think so it stars uh tony luing chow Wai as um it's lay lay um he is a gay man who is visiting um argentina with his partner hope poing um and they're visiting argentina to save the relationship that doesn't work they break up while they're in argentina um and they can't afford to go back to hong kong um, so they have to get jobs there. Uh, y becomes a doorman. He later becomes works in a restaurant and um, at a meatpacking plant. Uh, po Wing himself uh, becomes a prostitute. He prostitutes himself. Um, the main kind of bulk of the movie is after Po Wing um, gets beaten by a client so badly that he can't use his hands and he has to stay with... Um, lay for an extended period of time. Um, what I really like about this movie is that it's this really kind of deep portrayal of um, loneliness in relationships because um, these two men are like clearly not working. They don't work together, but they're alone in Argentina. No one's, there's have no one to turn to but each other. Um, and this, this cinematography is excellent. Um, there's a, one scene in particular where they're dancing. Um, that's probably one of my favorite shots from the movie. Um, so that's kind of where the movie goes. It doesn't have like a whole lot of plot, I don't think. Um, the original cut is like three hours, I guess. And there's like a bunch of stuff that's cut, like characters that are cut, plot lines that are cut. Um, but at the end of the day, um, these two people realize they don't work for each other, um, which is kind of where the title comes from, because the director says that happy together can refer to two persons, but also um, when a person is at peace with him and his, him or herself and their past. So it's like this really deep story about belonging. I, it's just like and these performances are excellent. It's kind of hard to, you know, describe because it, like I said, there's not much plot, but 
I really enjoyed it. It was just for the cinematography alone, it's just really great. Yeah, I, I agree, especially on that last point about the cinematography. It's so like moody and it's got like, you know, kind of like the neon greens and the reds and which I, admission time, this is my first um, Wong Kar Wai film. Um, so I, not a f filmmaker that I'm familiar with, I would like to get into obviously, um, but that's something I, I've always kind of heard or seen associated with his work. And I think it's just really fascinating here and the way you can tell there's so much thought is put into every shot, not just the composition and, and the colors, but you know, some of it is in color. Some of it is in black and white. Um, you can tell that the color scheme itself is something that is very, very specific. I would like to rewatch this at some point and just focus on the colors and, and just kind of decipher those. And I imagine you could probably write a book on it. Um, but I really, really love the, the performances as well, especially Tony Lung. Um, he was in Shang-Chi this year. So, um, kind of nice to see him, him still working and, and whatnot, but I thought he was pretty terrific, um, in a very, very quiet performance, not a ton of dialogue. Um, but there's a scene where he is basically, he's given this voice recorder, um, and I, gosh, I'm blanking. I can't remember what he tells him to say into it. I think it's like something that. Like, tell me something about yourself or something. Yeah. He's like leaving. So he wants him to be able to like capture a little bit of who he is on the recording. Right. And, and you know, Tony Lung just kind of brings it to his face and holds it up and he just kind of softly sobs. Um, and it's an extremely powerful scene where just everything that we have watched from this film, which is primarily issues between him and his lover is coming out. Um, and it's very, very emotional, especially for a character, like, like I said, does not talk much. We don't really get into his, his inner feelings all the time. But I think it's like Toby said, these are two characters that absolutely, you know, between Lei and Hopo Wing, they, they should not be together. You know, they, they do not work for each other, but they're so drawn to each other and um, keep finding their way back that, it's kind of this journey about them learning to live together while, and also learning to live apart. Um, I think location, the way that that plays a role here and that for most of the film, you know, they're in um, Argentina and they both, you know, they want to get back to Hong Kong. They want to get home. Um, and it's kind of just that sense of urgency to get back there or find a place that works for them. I know Taiwan plays a role in the, the film later on as well. So very fascinating, not many characters along with not much plot. Um, it's really interesting to hear that so many were cut because like I'm looking at the IMDB page, this must be only those with speaking parts that they have five actors listed. Um, yeah, there's like no, well, there's no women and obviously the, but there's like a woman, I guess, who was whose character is cut that, that has like a few I guess a few scenes but I mean she's got cut from the movie the original yeah hours, but yeah it's, it's really fascinating a three-hour cut because it's only an hour and 36 minutes um the version we have here so um yeah Wong Kar Wai he, he has a collection out with Criterion now I'd like to definitely check out more of his work and this is a really fascinating start to that I have seen In the Mood for Love, but I don't remember it at all. So 
Um, and this is my first time seeing this too. I enjoyed it also. At first we thought that we were watching this whole movie in black and white because Toby didn't remember if it transitions or because we watched it on Criterion Channel and it was like in its original formatting. So for whatever reason, we thought, oh, it's in black and white. We got a story to tell Brett. But then it, it slowly shifted into the color scheme. I guess that the Criterion Channel has the 4K resolution version of it. They call so. it like the alternate version. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. But it's, it's but it's like presented in its original formatting. I don't know. But it I mean, it was like the same length. It wasn't longer or anything. So, um, but again, yeah, I did like it. Love the colors in it. Really love the performances. Tony Leung, who I kind of just realized who this was this year with the Shang-Chi and now mm -hmm. seeing him here super young fascinating fascinating performance again we're talking about loneliness we talked about loneliness the last movie this one hell even the last one we'll speak about but big theme here um a shout out to the late great steven sondheim because i just thought of a song um that really relates to this called um like we do not belong together because it's like it's perfect these two do not belong together they're very mismatched from the beginning. Although the film opens with them basically having sex, you think it's going to go somewhere and it doesn't. It's a bad relationship, but they got, they don't got anywhere to go. Argentina is don't where it's at. Idea. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're trapped in Argentina. They're the only two they know who speak the language. Other people around them are like, you got to give me a new Chinese girl and stuff. And it's like, where am I going to find somebody? Okay, I can barely find, I can barely find myself, you know? <laughs> I like the music a lot. Like yeah. the um, the last scene. I mean, it's not really a spoiler alert because it's like it's not really like a movie that has a plot. Like I said, but mm -hmm. at the end when he goes to the waterfall, that song at the end there is like that combined with like how like the cinematography in there is just like this is the whole point of like everything that he's been like going to, and it's like really powerful. I like that a lot. Like when he's standing there in the waterfall. The dog agrees. Yes. <laughs> the dog agrees. Look at that. Sorry. You're fine. But yeah. Um, I think this movie is the music choice. I will say at the beginning, like just to say something completely different. When we when we started the movie, when we started the movie, I was like, this is going really fast. It's like one scene after the other, and mm -hmm. it's very cut like edited very quickly there at the beginning so it's almost like concerning I'm, I'm, um that the whole movie is going to be like that but it, it wasn't it was um obviously very different than that but right i'm glad i kind of didn't know that going into this it didn't have a plot because it probably would have made me a little bit more i don't know it probably would have bored me if i feel I, like it has a plot but it's more of like a uh what do you call that it's like definitely happens it's a non it's a non-linear plot you know it's, it's a plot where stuff happens yeah what do you call that forget oh but i mean it, i mean it jumps around a lot i also wanted to say i think this film was kind of sexy when at times when they are together the tango in the apartment scene mm -hmm. yeah i mean again even though they don't belong together at all right well they kind of like it's like they're trying to make it work almost uh, because they just have each other but then they realize it's this isn't this isn't gonna work yeah when they move on um Makes me kind of wonder how the novel works, um, you know, with it with it being based on a novel. I would be interested to just read that and see. Um, Is it different? According to IMDb, it says based on the novel, the Buenos Aires Affair. 
Oh, okay. I actually don't know that, but <laughs> I this is another one that I just realized as we were talking. So, oh, okay. um, interesting. The title translates literally from Chinese to "spring light at first glance," which I guess is like an idiom or an idiom in Chinese that um, suggests a glimpse of something intimate. So it's like. I guess that's the movie hmm. in a nutshell. I'll get little glances into there. Also, I think I read somewhere where he, he filmed it in Argentina because of obviously the, the sexual content as well. Cause I don't know, maybe. He, uh, so um, he wanted to make this movie, I guess, because um and wanted the queer couple, the gay couple to be like as universal as possible. Like these problems that these this couple's facing is could be anybody. It could be like any gender um, facing these problems. Um, because I guess there wasn't a lot of movies from Hong Kong that were like that. Hmm. Marriage, marriage story. Yeah, so I'm trying to um okay so yeah there's I, like, a, like complicated like transfer why they filmed in argentina it's like this complicated mm-hmm. thing so i don't know if it was directly based on the novel because it doesn't say that in like wikipedia or nearly anywhere else but i found an article that said it is widely considered to be an inspiration for the story so uh, probably not like a direct adaptation or anything like that gotcha hmm Damn, I thought I had another adapted screenplay now. This, like, so it was, they're not nominated for anything, obviously, but it was, it says it was in contention for the Palme d'Or and won Best Director at the 1997 Cannes Film Festival. Nice. I could see that. And screened at several film festivals, including Toronto. Yeah. It's cool. Definitely a fascinating movie, a very interesting kind of romance um, or, or anti-romance, however you want to look at it. So definitely, definitely a, like Tony, Tony's, was it Tony? Yeah. His performance is definitely like one of those ones that's like um, quieter, but then you like get to see into him in his mind and you'd like, he's such a complex character because he, it's like he doesn't know where he, he belongs. He can't get back to where he wants to be. But he's like with this man that he doesn't want to be with. But it's like, why does he take care of him? He doesn't have to. Right. Yeah, I feel like we learn a lot about his character just from looking at him and like watching him. Just And it's so, so subtle. But like it does... I don't know. It, it kind of draws you in. You feel closer to him with just his small expressions and you can tell there's a sense of annoyance, but also care. And I don't know. I just find it really impressive how he's able to deliver all that um, with so little to say and um, with just with his kind of subtle expressions. It's really fascinating. Awesome. Well, definitely another one that we would all recommend. Any further thoughts on Happy Together? Yeah. Oh, if you have HBO, go. Uh, HBO. Oh. Oh, wow. Look how far back <laughs> I can go. Throwback. If you have HBO Max, 
it is on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually texted Christian the other night and said like a lot of the 1997 movies are on HBO max. So shout out to them. But, right. That's a lot of good thing about doing like the nineties and the two thousands and the 2010s. Cause you, they're easily accessible these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know our next one is one that I'm sure Christian has been very excited to talk about. Um, so Christian, why don't you take us away with our next one? I rise. My time has come. All right. So this is one of, if not the greatest, uh, biopics about a singer whose life was cut tragically short brett gave me a look but you know what brett can do mm, exactly so the fi- the film is selena directed by gregory nava and i i don't even look i didn't even look at a plot i got a plot right here in my head it is based on the life of selena quintanilla perez here played by jennifer lopez in pretty much her breakthrough performance you know um but if you know anything about selena cool you're amazing. I love you. If you don't, okay, here we go. So she was a singer, a Tejano singer in primarily the Texas region. Um, but in the very early 90s, she became pretty much a star. A lot of her songs still resonate with a lot of people today. Bitty Bitty Bum Bum, Como La Flor, um, her breakthrough English uh, slash Spanish album, Dreaming of You. Um, but basically growing up with a father here played by Edward James Olmos, who wanted the best for his children, but also wanted to put them in the spotlight. He saw something in Selena um, at a very early age, sings very well, and then constantly pushed them to let's do more, but always let's be a family. When she does rise to stardom, um, things get complicated when she falls in love with the new uh, guitar player. Guitarist. Yeah, guitarist. Um, Chris Perez, that right? Dad, is that right? Um, my dad knows this movie like the back of his hand. Um, <laughs> but things complicate there because he's sort of a, uh, you know, an outcast. He's a rebel. The dad doesn't really like him at all. He has long hair, but they slowly fall in love. And, you know, little love story there. Again, things are further complicated when we are introduced to Yolanda, who becomes Selena's... Um, I don't even fucking care who she is. She steals <laughs> money from Selena, okay? And if you know the story of what happens next, Yolanda kills her. But this is a very, it, to me, to me, it's a very great biopic. It's probably cheesy to most people in hindsight now because it was made only two years after her death. Um, in the Mexican-American community, Yolanda is the ultimate supervillain. I mean, the woman is up for parole in what, like two years? There's always that rumor that somebody bought a house outside of the prison, and if she gets her parole, they're going to kill her ass. I mean, whatever, all for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, this and this, you know what? The, another good thing about this, this film was approved by her family. A lot of the times they're like the unauthorized situations, but her father, um, Abe Cantania, he had a lot of influence on this. He knew exactly what he wanted. The uh, casting of J-Lo is kind of controversial just because she's New York Puerto Rican. Um, she does very well. She lip syncs in this, but she trained to lip sync. Okay. So it looks authentic as hell. Honestly, one of my favorite performances. I love it. Toby loves it. I want to hear from Brett last. <laughs> I need opinions. Also, Toby and I got to see this at Alamo Draft House in Kansas City. Rest in peace because that theater is no longer existing here. Mm. Um, at a party, everybody had like uh, maracas and they served pepperoni pizza with extra pepperoni. 
just like Selena liked it. And when Yolanda came on screen, everybody booed. Yeah. And it was great. Great night. I missed that theater. But anyway, Toby, take it away because you love it or else. Yes, actually, I really do love this movie. Um, And I think it's really kind of cool to see like when I first watched it, I obviously hadn't seen it. It was like a few years ago. You watched it here. Yes. Yeah. So I was going to say like watching Christian and his dad watch the movie. It's like um, it's like one of those movies like that it's a family movie like you watch that with your family because you all love it and they love it remember we watched it fourth of july with my family <laughs> yep exactly um and that time at alamo draft house was amazing um everybody booed when yolanda came on state on screen amazing um i well i think what makes this even better than like a typical biopic to me is edward james almost because my favorite scenes in the movie are the ones where he's talking to Selena. There's the one scene where he's talking to her in the car. Um, and he's like, we have to, we're Mexican American. We have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans. And that he really kind of talks about the, their, how complicated it is to be Mexican American. Um, and it really highlights how important Selena's story is, even though she wasn't, her life was cut short. She has made such a large impact on so many people um, and why this is like kind of an, such an important movie. And it being authorized by the family means that like, it's true, you know, as true as it can be. Um, and I know he wanted, I'm, I'm just reading this, but he wanted to um, have the story be true and he wanted to dispel the false rumors after her death. So it's just like, it's about as good as a, biopic as you can get i think all right go ahead <laughs> you know uh, christian you mentioned this uh, you consider this the greatest uh, a musical biopic um i might not disagree um because we christian, did it <laughs> christian you know this musical biopics are the most tired worn out boring genre out there for me personally and it's not even that i dislike them it's just i find most of them so painfully average um and i rarely see distinctions between them there are exceptions rocket man good musical biopic because it was an actual musical and they did interesting things with it this one i think is unique because selena's story is that unique you know Yes, she, you know, she came from a, a pretty mo- a modest background, built herself up, achieved fame, you know, in the, you know, it did take her a while, but once it happened, it happened and it was pretty quick. Um, but what I really loved about this movie, my favorite scenes were in the bus um, because it's not like, you know, a typical tour bus. It's a bus that her family bought. Abe drives it they all kind of interact as a family inside of it. And that whole kind of family dynamic was probably my favorite aspect of the movie, because I feel like even though this is a Selena biopic, it's kind of like a a Quintanilla biopic as well. Um, You know, you kind of get a sense of the family dynamic and I agree completely with Toby. Edward James almost is awesome in this movie. I mean, I, he kind of blew me away. I actually texted Christian. I was like, do you consider him leader supporting just because especially in the beginning, in some ways it's as much his story as it is Selena's. Cause he's the one who kind of 
drives the kids to get into music and, you know, Suzette to learn the drums and um, the brother, what's the brother's names? Uh, it's, it's yeah. So it's probably junior. So yeah. Junior, yeah. So, um, and him to, to like, you know, play the guitar and obviously Selena has her voice. Um, Jennifer Lopez did not realize she was lip syncing um until you mentioned that so that's i guess that's it's how effective that, that was it so, is that good i didn't know until it was recent you know in hindsight too we know we know jennifer lopez is that talented you know um and so i think she is excellent in the role um it's hard to imagine anybody else doing it and i'm sure there are there are great uh, mexican-american actors out there who could but she really it's very lived in um, and it really results in some real care for Selena and a really heartbreaking ending. Um, nothing I like about this movie is that it doesn't show her death. Um, and I think like with it being two years after she had been killed, we, the movie doesn't shy away from it. We know it happens. We see the aftermath, but it doesn't show her being killed. And I found that really respectful um, because we don't need to see that, you know, there, there's no reason for it. Um, so I really liked that choice by Gregory Nava as well. Um, one thing that I have to mention about the film, I, this is the first thing I texted Christian when I was watching it. And I was like, Constance Marie plays her mom. Mm-hmm. I, I know Constance Marie from George Lopez. Um, obviously she was, you know, his wife in that show for, for those years, but it shocked me. And I was like, how is she old enough? And I found out she's actually like four years older than Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's maybe a, a bit of a weird, weird case in the movie, but she's still really good too. Um, right. The whole cast is so. Yeah, there's that funny part. I, I think it's funny when she like, there's a, I forget where it is at exactly. When um, J- JLo ages into like, or when Selena ages into JLo, she, um, her mom starts wearing this wig. It just looks very like. <laughs> you gotta age yourself now. She's a little older. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of funny. But also also shout out to Lupe Ontiveros for taking the the villain of the Hispanic American community and making it a nice performance. It's you can't help but hate the woman. I don't even know what Yolanda, Yolanda looks like. You don't need to. I could just picture uh, her in my head. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. like forever, like Lupe Ontiveros, she's a very accomplished actress as well. Um, she passed away, unfortunately, in like 2012. Mm-hmm. But if you read her bio, she really, um, she wanted more than just made roles, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she wanted more than just made roles out of her life. Um, really championed for a lot of creativeness. And I mean, the role, she's perfect in this role. Again, I mean, you, it's a different role because it's such a vile person to a lot of people, you know? Yeah. She's not in a lot of things, but she's in some good things. Like real women have curves. That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when you see her in movies, she's very recognizable, obviously. Yeah. 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 I, I will address the fact that I, I gave this four stars. So obviously I don't love it as much as you two do. Yeah, I mean, I think it, does, it does do those typical biopic things that you, you expect, you know, like, yeah, this story, is it really true? You know why it's five for me, because I grew up with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think for me, it was kind of what you mentioned. Sometimes I thought the dialogue needed some work, that kind of cheesy fact you mentioned. I, it, it's, but it's not consistent. There are just moments where that it kind of came up that way. And the other thing too, is that I don't know. It, it, it's conflicting because on the one hand, I don't want her to have that much screen time, but like Yolanda kind of just shows up. Um, 
and she's like all of a sudden there. And, and maybe that's a reflection of what it was like in real life, but it was like, she showed up and I'm like, wait, like Yolanda, like the Yolanda. Um, and so I, it was, <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that either. Cause we watched it this time. I paused it cause I had to go to the bathroom, right. As Yolanda entered and there's only 20 minutes left when she enters. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, wonder thought... that, I wonder if that's because it, it was again, two years after and it's still painful. And also yeah. the movie, I think the movie is trying to be like, this is who Selena was more like more, more so than like, this is who killed her. Like yeah. sure. the movie is like building up to like, this is who Selena is. This is why you should care about who she was more so than who Yolanda was. Sure. That makes sense too. No, really good music, obviously, too. Yes. So, Duh. <laughs> the scene in Mexico where it's like the crowd is doing the the Astro World type. Yes. Oh. Yeah. But then she like silences them all. All oh, there's so many people there, and then goes for it. Oh, that's a great scene. Yeah. Also, the music looking like music video half the time. You know what? Mm. I love it. Mm. Yes. I mean, I give this a five stars because. I've grown to love it because of the connection that I've made with it. Mm. I know it's not a perfect movie, but we literally at 4th of July stopped playing a family game of Uno while this was on TV. And we were like, Oh no, watch, watch. This is this part. Like, yeah. <sighs> so I, something I want to ask since you do have such a strong connection with this movie, both of you now, um, there's a series out now thoughts on i don't know if you've seen it but thoughts on them making a series or anything like that didn't Maria watch some of it? yeah my dad watched some of it i didn't watch it i why do i need to watch it, he didn't I finish have, yeah. it right i didn't even realize that it was over over but i mean oh. yeah, I, don't know. I don't care i don't think it was like totally approved by the family mm-hmm. i think it was what i read was made by her husband and look let me tell you something her dad when she passed away he got like the full-on rights to her life which is like everything that has to do with her has to go through him first and not her husband. Gotcha. Like, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that it was only made by her husband and the family was not very happy. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I is wondered there, like, cause that's my thing is like, is this necessary? Like do we need yeah, this, you know? Yeah. So, because I mean, even though it, I think that the show is well until HBO max came along, the show was a lot more accessible because you could find it. It's on Netflix. The movie, you see it on TNT, TBS, it's mm-hmm. there. But now, why you have a show when you have a perfectly good movie that everybody knows? Yeah. I see so many memes about Selena, like, do it for Selena's. Or, you know, oh, last year, the big one was during the, the voting counts during the election was, guess who will find the votes? Yolanda. Yolanda will find the votes. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's an, even a memeable movie, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't need a TV show. Yeah. If you want Selena's life, the movie is the best source for it. Other than, like, you know, research, but... Yeah. Yeah, yet another movie that um, did not get any Oscar love. Um, so, got shut mm-hmm. out there, unfortunately. But, and yet they're like Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, oh my God, God yeah. this is the greatest thing ever. She got nominated for the Globe, though. J Lo. Yeah, I mean, that's good. She didn't win. That that's my thing is that you know, as someone who has really struggles to get into 
music biopics, you know, biopics about musicians, this is one I would strongly recommend. And I, it's, I'm struggling to think of ones that I enjoy more. Um, so yeah. All right. I want, I want to read this too. This is from the recent uh, history section of Wikipedia. And on January 1st of this year, 2021, all 38 members of the U.S. Congressional Congressic Congressional Hispanic Caucus, which I am assuming are all the Hispanic people in Congress, uh, let's see, formally nominated Selena to be added to the National Film Registry. Good. I don't know exactly when that voting takes place, mm-hmm. but hopefully soon. And framed as the as and frame the act as a way to, among other things, more broadly recognize Latino contributions to film. There you go. You know what? I don't even know this. Maybe is this this? I feel like this is our first Hispanic Latino film that we've like fully on discussed. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's not a lot out there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. Don't worry. When we get to 83 or 84, depending on what year it's eligible, Gregory Nava has another film that I really want to talk about. Very nice. Looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I mentioned all these movies that we have here are first time watches for me. Um, and I mean, so far, I highly recommend all of them. So including this one. So even though Selena is a happy movie, then turns, of course, sad. Next, we go to sad, 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 <laughs> very, very sad. This is true. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to take on the sadness? Let's go to the wilds of Canada. Eh? Yes. So our next one is a Canadian film um, that I I picked because it was directed. Uh, sorry, God. It was nominated for director and screenplay. Um, directed by Adam Egoyan. Goyan, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Um, apologies there, but it is the sweet hereafter. And so this is the story of a, a small kind of rural town, kind of a remote community in Canada. Um, and a tragedy takes place there. And so we find out along the way that a school bus has crashed. It kind of went over into a bear, went over a barrier into a frozen lake and sunk. Um, and so it was full of school children. Most of them died in the crash. Um, some of them lived, including the school bus driver who is played by Gabrielle Rose and um, one of the older, the teenagers on the bus, Nicole, who is played by Sarah Polly, who is now an acclaimed filmmaker. Um, things kind of get, so already, the community is in deep grief, deep mourning, and it's just brought to a head when, with the arrival of a lawyer who's played by Ian Holm. Um, we kind of get some background on his character. We find out that his daughter is a drug addict. He is separated from his wife. They have a past history there, but he is determined to rally up these um, locals and basically sue the bus company. Um, that to prove that there was something wrong with the bus. And that's why it went over the edge and sank and all that. Um, Most of the families really buy into it. Um, And so I think it's kind of a really interesting reflection in that we have this really tragic incident that deeply, deeply affects these people. And they're kind of just in search of an explanation because it's something that this bus driver is a good driver. She's taken this route many times. 
why did this happen? How did this happen? And we come to find out that, you know, maybe there just isn't an explanation. Um, and it was just truly an accident that we couldn't prevent. Um, Sarah Polly's character gets wrapped in because they want her testimony because she sat at the front of the bus. Um, there's a character played by Bruce Greenwood, who is the father of two of the young children who died in the crash. And he actually saw it because he followed them to school. And he's actually one who is kind of on the flip side of like, there's no reason to sue for this. We need to just move on. But what I really like about this film is that it doesn't take a straightforward narrative. It goes back and forth between what's happening with the lawyer and what led up to the crash and the crash itself from various points of view. And I think it really helps in kind of formulating this story, but also getting into the memory of it all and trying to piece together the pieces um, as you would as someone who's kind of exploring how this happened. And, you know, I, maybe it strikes me being from a small community, but I think what I really love most about this film is it really does capture how an incident like this, where I think it said like 14 children died, affects the community as a whole. And basically what we take from it is that this community is not what it was before and it's never going to be the same. And so that was really impactful, extremely sad, very sorrowful and depressing, but that's just the way it is. Um, and the characters are coming to terms with that. So I really enjoyed it. I think it's a fascinating movie, really well-written, really well-directed. So I understand both of those noms. What say you all? I, I really enjoyed this too. Um, and I, it's one of those movies I think that's gotten better in my mind as I've gotten farther away from it. Um, I don't know if you've seen Mass from this year yet, but it kind of reminds me of that in a way. Um, there's like um, these interviews, and like you said, it's not linear, but it, it gives you insight into what happened and how it affected these people. Um, and it's just so powerful. The performances are just like, it's, it blew me away. And it, I'm still thinking, you know, like the bus driver, I forget her name, but she, that's what keeps coming back to me. Definitely. Um, so this is my second time watching it. I remember the first time I wanted to watch it. It was one of those where it's like, I can't find this movie anywhere. I have to mm -hmm. interlibrary loan it. Yeah. And then I watched it and I was like, mm, it's fine. Second time here. I loved it a lot more. Um, I especially loved Ian Holm and Sarah Polly as well. Mm -hmm both really good in this Sarah Polly, like Brett said, very accomplished filmmaker now. Good for her and actress. Um, the thing it's where our theme here is either loneliness or sadness for the night. Cause this one is a very sad film, obviously with the content. I did not remember that you actually see the bus falling. Um, yeah, that, that was quite jarring for me. Um, but, uh, no, uh, good film. Nonetheless, sorry, there's like a noise going on in our living room. It freaks me out. It's the bus. Oh, my God. Um, but the um, the entire character of Ian Holm, his story is also very unique because we're focusing on that as well as this the town community thing. In terms of his daughter on the plane, um, he meets her former friend and he's basically telling her like, you know, when did you meet my daughter? At what point did you meet her of like, you know, her going to rehab? Which rehab was she going to? Oh yeah, she's been through shit and back. 
I'm a sad person as well. So it's almost like, is he doing this for the good of the people? Is he doing this to make up for things for basically losing his own daughter, you know, but yeah, the sweet here after and the whole Pied Piper thing it's kind of interesting. It's kind of almost scary too. Creepy. It's creepy yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the recurring theme. And Lil Sarah Polly, you can stop your rhyming, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, the the that's a big question too. That's really interesting to the film is like, why is Ian Holm doing this? Like nobody calls him. He just shows up and tries to kind of like rally the troops. But same thing, you peel back the layers, you figure out his past, and you think how do those mesh? And it's really interesting. Hmm. Um, I will also say that it's like, I think the setting of Canada is really good too, because it's super, it's, it's cold feeling mm -hmm. and they make it of course, cold feeling with all the damn snow going on. Yeah. And what is the bus? What is the bus driver's name in this too? Uh, Dolores. 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 Oh, haha. <laughs> a very familiar <laughs> name to us um but Dolores she is like her performance I also say is very good here because you see her sadness and her her sorrow her sadness her regret and remorse of what happened you know mm -hmm. that's actually my favorite performance in the film I think um because she, she has that scene where like she's talking about she has the photos on her wall of some of the students and so you get the sense that like she was someone who really not only experienced this traumatic event, but deeply cared about these kids um, and had a connection with many of them. And to kind of see her break down as a result of that. And, you know, even sometimes people question whether she's to blame, which is really heartbreaking too, because as you see the instant, you realize it was just a turn of events that just happened. Um, and so, yeah, she was definitely my favorite, but I, I enjoyed everybody in the movie, the whole cast. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree about that because... Um, she does. She has like pictures of the kids in her her house. She she didn't do this on purpose. She didn't mm -hmm. like she. There's no bad intent on her part. And that the first scene where she, she's interviewed, um, she kind of unravels as the interview goes on, and it's just like the whole movie is just so it really hits you. Yeah, really. extremely heartbreaking. If you know, if you're in the mood for a very depressing movie, but is all that is also very good um, and sticks with you, this is definitely one to consider. Um, this is one of the few that that we picked that did get a couple of Oscar nominations, like I mentioned, the director and adapted screenplay. Um, so this was based on um, a novel that I think was actually based on a real incident that took place in Texas, is what I read. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, that's um, that's kind of heartbreaking on its own. So, not a commercial success, but um, definitely like a critical success, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's always. I mean, I think it's weird to anybody where you have a nomination for director, but it's like, eh, fuck the movie. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know? And yeah. especially like one of only two nominations, like um, it didn't, wasn't like an all around success. None of the actors were in or anything like that. So also very, I mean, I was actually surprised. I recognize a lot of the actors because Bruce Greenwood is one of those. Hey, it's that guy, yeah. Sarah Pauly, Ian Holm, of course. And then Sarah Pauly's father, who 
you know, questionable things there. Um, mm-hmm. Is Brie Larson's stepdad in room? Hmm. Oh, yeah. So he's Joe. Yeah, he's Joan Allen's husband in that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, another one that you know we all recommend. Um, we we recommended all these, which is awesome. So yeah. it's definitely not lighthearted, but it's definitely worth yeah. watching. If you have the Criterion Channel, it is on there. Very nice. Any further thoughts on the suite hereafter before we move into our honorable slash dishonorable mentions here? All right. Well, this time we have 39 movies in our recommended here. So definitely more than we had with like 1930. Um, <laughs> so we're going to start at the top here. Uh, 12 Angry Men, obviously a remake here. Pretty decent remake. I mean, obviously can't remake a classic, but right. it's a good cast. Changes up a little bit of things, I think. So, Can I say a story about it? Yes. Okay. So um, Ving Rhames won a Golden Globe for uh oh gosh who's the boxer promoter with the hair oh uh gosh don king oh yes don yes. king because yeah yeah okay so he won a golden globe for that but he felt that he wasn't deserving of it and gave his golden globe to jack lemon who is in 12 angry men oh yes that, actually. you've seen the clip fascinating well, we're gonna watch the clip again so <laughs> it's a very touching thing you know yeah that's cool so next one we have here is four little girls uh documentary from spike lee which i've seen pieces of i've never seen the thing in whole but definitely one i need to get to at some point it's very good uh next we have air force one president becomes badass starring harrison ford haven't seen it in years but get off my plane (laughs) uh amistad um steven spielberg so yeah. I haven't seen this one. But we didn't get to see. I've seen it. seen it. I, I've seen it, but we didn't get to see it this time around. It's very long. Yeah. Uh, Anaconda. The Nicki Minaj story. Oh, my God. Another J-Lo movie, actually. Yes. And Ving Rhames. Oh, not Ving Rhames. Huh? He's on my mind. Uh, what's his name? The crazy guy. John Voight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> John Voight doing some sort of weird accent in it. Very nice. This one, I forgot. Haven't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, the Anastasia. Literally one of, oh my, the songs, the, the music. music. It slaps yes. so hard, okay? See, I'm mad at myself for not watching because I know I'm going to watch it and have to completely adapt some of my personal awards. Uh, Haley, but- Haley, make him watch. <laughs> And J.K. Simmons is really in it. Jake, yes. Okay. J.K. Simmons is listed as um background character. But um if, if you follow us on Letterboxd, especially me, you'll see my stats. Mm. And he's my number one actor right now. And yes, he is credited for Anastasia for whatever reason. Nice. We'll take it. Uh next up we have Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, the first in the series. I just watched it the other night. It it holds up. It's it's hilarious. Yes. So. That, oh, I forgot to text you during the moment where the guy is he's just standing there going like no, and then running <laughs> over him. That's literally he's the he's the same guy in Halloween Kills. He does the same fucking action in <laughs> Halloween Kills. We're just like Michael, 
your home stands there does nothing <laughs> wow cinematic parallels uh batman and robin george clooney's turn is batman haven't seen it in years it it does not have a great reputation is this the but... one with mr freeze yes yeah oh, I don't care schwarzenegger then. yep <laughs> Uh, next, we have Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Um, I watched, I had a recorded version of it on VHS tape. I don't think I watched it that much. I don't really remember it that well, but it has a good song in it, which is not on any like Spotify or nothing, but. Oh, I think it is now. It's like called Stories, I think, but it's a good song. Interesting. I want to say that came up when we did our 1991 episode at one I think point. So, but... I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next we have The Borrowers, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen. Uh, it, it's a cute movie. It's with Jim Broadbent and um, Tom Felton. That's and if you all could, oh, go ahead. Is it with the little people? Yeah. That... Okay. Yeah. And yeah. John Goodman. John Goodman's like there to exterminate them. Gotcha. Also, if you all could see, if we're a visual podcast, I just pulled up that the Beauty and the Beast and the Enchanted Christmas is on Spotify, and Toby gasped. So. Oh. There it is. Very nice. Uh, next one, shout out to Zay. I know this is a favorite of theirs. Uh, Cats Don't Dance, animated film from this year. Another one, kind of like Anastasia. Haven't seen it in forever. A um, song but... slap. It's just fun. <laughs> okay, it's so, it's so good. Love it. Uh, next we have Children of Heaven. I watched this in my first film class at community college and it is very good. It is from Iran. Um, it is about two children who cannot afford new shoes. So they like switch off every day to share shoes so they can go to school. And then those new shoes get taken and it's cute. Very nice. Uh, next one, Chile obstinate memory. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot of this one. I watched it in like a film class, but it oh, is this documentary about uh chili's uh like coup because they had a coup mm. going on yeah it's it's basically footage that was so radical that it was smuggled out of the country oh that's cool. yeah uh next we have cinderella the brandy version the best version of cinderella there is and excuse me it's the whitney houston version the whitney houston version oh. yeah yeah thank you uh yeah i another one saw when i was a kid and it. it is it is finally on disney plus it slaps so hard it is so good it's so beautiful very nice some of but... us may not appreciate it <laughs> i will good i'll force you to <laughs> uh next we have contact uh robert zemeckis film from this year really good jody foster performance um it is, i thought it was good yeah it's really good yeah. Jody's better than I remember. Yeah. yeah. You know what I hate about it though? I hate Matthew McConaughey is on the poster. I kind of hate he's in the movie. I don't get his role in the movie that much. Like part of it I do, but the romance I don't get. So. He's co-build. He's in it for a to grand total of like 10 minutes. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Next one we have Event Horizon, which I've heard things about but never seen. I don't remember it, but it's it's supposed to be like a okay so let's just assume i've never seen it because i don't remember it but it's supposed to be one of the best sci-fi horror movies out there. i've heard it's like really gory yeah uh, and, and violent but yeah yeah i think i've seen it yeah i have it i need to see it again though 
Next one is one that I really wanted to get to and just didn't. Uh, face off. With it Nicholas it. Really? Okay. That's sound. Interesting. You look at my review of it on Letterboxd. Whoo, I go off. <laughs> Fascinating. I'm going to check that out. Uh, next one we have here is The Fifth Element. Bruce I Willis, remember. I want to say. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. it, but I, don't I remember like the costumes. Okay. Is that the one with Chris Tucker? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've never oh. seen it, but I know of it. Great so. gowns, beautiful gowns. All right. Next, we have one that I also have not seen. Wanted to get to it, but I know it to be very disturbing. It is Funny Games from Eagle Hanukkah. Yo, that movie, whoo, it is stressful. <laughs> I watched it once, uh, and that's all I needed to do. One of those where the director remade his own movie later. Yeah, um, and it so. gets a lot of hate, but that was, I watched the American version before I watched the, what is he? What is he? I don't know what he is. Austrian, I think. Austrian version, yeah. German Austrian. German, German Austrian. Austrian. Yeah, but it is all, it's, I mean, it's very good. I like yeah. it a lot. I've only seen it once, but it sticks with you. I'm sure. Ugh. Uh, next we have, this was, I don't know, if, for a while, this was Christian's most popular review on Letterboxd, uh, George of the Jungle. It was. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love this movie. I do Brendan, too. Brendan Fraser, my first celebrity crush. Yeah, I, I forgot it came out this year. I, I need to go and rewatch it now, but I, I remember, really loved this growing up. Uh, I'm looking at Toby's letterbox and it's not marked as watch. So what? I have never seen it. Oh! <laughs> I've been goofed. I've seen like little bits of it on TV, but I've never seen nothing. I'm pulling out my shoe. It's so funny. Brendan Fraser, Leslie Mann, Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. I'm so mad. <laughs> All right. Well, I know what we're watching soon. Next, we have another childhood favorite that I did rewatch, and I love it. It is Hercules. High key, best Disney soundtrack. It's amazing. So the song slaps so hard. So good. So good. also, I love Danny DeVito and I love James Woods in this movie. Yeah, so I did not watch this actually. It's only the second time I've seen it, but I, I like it too. Ooh. There's another childhood fave. Uh, one that I know the two of you watched in the last couple of days, Home Alone Three. Yeah, it's Toby. Say it. It's a good movie. <laughs> What's Roger Ebert liked it. It's like a two point five. Yeah, like, it's just a fun movie. I don't know. I love it. I give it a five just because nobody else will. <laughs> it is Somebody good. I will to. say. I I noticed that I I never seen it until two thousand eighteen. And every year we've watched it since. Like we watched it oh. the night before we did this. In my mind, Kevin's mom is the mom from that movie. Oh, <laughs> fascinating. That's what I thought for the longest time. I thought I read that somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just a fun movie. You can't yeah. like Yeah. I haven't seen it for, for years once again, but yeah. Disney Plus. Yep, there you go. Uh, next we have, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Garbage, <laughs> stinky. Like it, I I don't know. It's everybody loves it. I thought it was it's like, shit. It's got like an iconic plot, but it's like also trash. I don't know. Interesting. It's very bad. 
Next, we have Jackie Brown, um, which Quentin Tarantino. I thought it was. I thought it was really good. Um, not one of his better ones for me personally, but Pam Greer is awesome in that movie, as is Samuel L. Jackson and mm-hmm. Robert Forster. They're all great. Great cast. I believe Robert Forster didn't he get a nomination for that. He did. Yeah. 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 yeah it's the film's only nomination. Yeah, one of my more favorite Quentin Tarantino's, to be honest. Yeah, it's got a really great like multiple perspective scene in it. That's pretty awesome. So, uh, next we have Liar Liar, Jim Carrey. Another one I haven't seen in years, but Jim Carrey. It's like one of my favorite. Like when I think of Jim Carrey, I think of him in Liar Liar. Nice. I grew up watching it. It was my one of my dad's favorite movies. He introduced it to me, so I like it. Yeah. Um, the sequel, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Meh. I've never like seen it. it. Oh, is that the one Julianne, right? Yeah. Getting my shoe out. <laughs> it's a Jurassic Park movie. How do you not like? How dare you? <laughs> I thought you said it was meh. <laughs> I mean, it's Steven it's- Spielberg. It's okay, still like fair. it has dinosaurs. <laughs> I can't say what it has in it, but damn, I can't believe you've never seen it. Never seen that one. Never seen part three either. Part three of getting my shoe out again is deep. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am like, I'm taking my shoe, my chancla and hitting part three, you. Part three, I can understand. Part two, though. Yep. Apologies. Blind okay, spot. well, now you got to watch it. So <laughs> Next, we have The Making of Psycho. It's it- on the... Blu-ray, right? It's on pretty much. If you own a copy of Psycho, it's on there. It's mm. interesting. It's it's very, it's interesting. very insightful. Very nice. Yes. Uh, next we have Men in Black. Galaxy Defenders. Or what Jada Smith calls the men she wants to take Will away because she hates him secretly, but she loves him. But she <laughs> should I give my hot take on Men in Black? Oh my God. Okay, go ahead, Jada. Third one is the best one. Oh. It's so emotional. I'm sorry. I I really enjoy the third one. Yep. Mm. First one's so iconic. It scares me still, the cockroach thing. It is. You agree with that. Also, the ride at Universal is very fun. It's very old, but it's very fun. All it is is you shoot aliens. I mean, it's. (laughs) I don't think they have it any, or I don't, when we went to in Los Angeles, I don't know if they had it anymore. I don't remember it. Banana Florida. I don't know. Uh, next one we have here is Mouse Hunts. Another one Shout I haven't seen Maddie. in years. Maddie likes that movie. Nathan Lane. Yes, it's, no. I watch it for him. Uh, oh, funny story. Mouse Hunt is how I became familiar with uh, Roger Ebert. Because on the VHS copy that we owned, it said two thumbs up, Ebert and Roper. I'm like, oh, I wonder who those guys are. And yeah. Hmm. Uh, Next, we have Mrs. Brown. Judy Dench plays Queen Vicky. But she's mourning the death of Albert, where she meets a young Scottish rogue. And they become friends. Or do they? Fascinating. It's good. It's really good. Okay. It is good. And the spiritual sequel is good too. Oh yeah. The spiritual sequel being Victorian Abdul. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Next we have Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. 
Is I don't it remember. That's all I, I don't remember. Rem- I don't remember it, but I included it for the fans. <laughs> you haven't? Nope. I'm failing. <laughs> I don't remember it either. All I know is Lisa Kudrow's in it. So uh, next we have Perfect Blue, which I've heard good things about, but never seen. Yeah, we didn't get to see it either. Zay wanted me to include this on here. Mm. But yeah, it is supposed to be one of the like, top-notch anime films out there. All right. Oh, I've seen that picture before. Mm-hmm. Well, fitting yeah. that our next one is Princess Mononoke. Um, Hayao Miyazaki film from this year. I just finished before getting on tonight. Amazing. It, of course. It's great. It's so good. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay, see, I watched the American dubbed version and I like it. Oh. So, yeah, we need to go back and watch just the regular Japanese subtitles because... Oh, yeah. you've never seen it in Japanese? Mm-mm. I've only seen the American dub and I did not like it. I really, I loved it. So yeah. I hope you like it better when watching oh. the Japanese version. And it's on HBO, so... Mm-hmm. Do we have that? Is that one of the fancy ones? I think it's one of the fancy Okay. Ones. We have fancy Hayao Miyazaki things, so... Oh. Nice. Walmart had like you get the you get a disc of the music in the movie. Very cool. Uh, next we have Scream Two, a worthy sequel. I don't really remember it. I do remember <gasps> who was the killer, but it's so I was so stressed out the first time I watched it because I was like anybody could be the killer. Oh, yeah. Haven't seen it, but what? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the reaction. I was like, oh no, reaction on this one. <laughs> It, it does start. Well, go. I was gonna say it starts with the the scene from Scary Movie. Oh, in the theater <gasps> with Jada. Who with gets- Jada, yeah. <laughs> that I didn't Will's, know. She gets killed. Will's dream. So. <laughs> okay, but you have Jan. You have the entire half of January to watch the first four. I know. I know. I I've been thinking about that. So, uh, next we have a simple wish. No? Okay. Childhood fave. Um, this is for Zay and I and anybody else who's ever seen it. Martin Short, Mara Wilson, and Kathleen Turner. Mara Wilson is... Uh, oh, no. Martin Short is her fairy godmother. <laughs> yeah. And there's a wand and Kathleen Turner is an evil witch. It is great. I'm sorry. It's great. I own the DVD. Let's watch it. Why the hell not? I recognize it now that I see it. I don't think I've seen it, but I, I recognize it. I see Zay gave it two and a half stars. I was wrong. I'm betrayed now. Well, next we have another one that I wanted to get to, but didn't get to, and that is Starship Troopers. Actually really good. Yeah. I've heard that. Like, it's actually a good it's movie. It's so good. Uh, next we have Tomorrow Never Dies. I don't remember this one. <laughs> I don't even I watched too many of them last year. One of those weird Bond. Pierce Brosnan ones. Yes, it is James Bond. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next we have Yuli's Gold. Um, nice little indie film with Peter Fonda, and I'm pretty sure he was runner up to Jack Nicholson from just opinions that I've heard and stuff. Yeah. Oh. A very a very nice film. I wish we could have seen it. I wish I could have shown Toby, especially, but. Didn't get a chance to. Very nice. It would have been nice to see him win an Oscar because then three Fondas would have an Oscar. Right. Uh, Next, our our final film we have here is Wag the Dog. 
decent movie. I like that movie. Um, if you look at it and it came out in 97, the Lewinsky scandal happened January, February of 98. The plots very much line up. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it's irony. Um, Dustin Hoffman is fun in it a lot. Yeah, he's very funny in it. The whole plot is funny and it shouldn't be. But <laughs> All right. Well, those are our honorable slash dishonorable mentions from this year. A lot of childhood throwbacks in there. Um, and now we will move on to our personal awards for this year. So Christian, do you want to begin or end this time? I'll begin. You'll begin. All right. Why don't you take us away with best adapted screenplay? All right. At number five, I have Jacket Brown. At number four, I have Contact. At number three, I have Wag the Dog. Because it is a book, I believe. And number two, I have Starship Troopers. It is that good. Okay. It feels so corny, but it's so well made. And my number one winner is The Sweet Hereafter. All right. Toby, you want to take us away with yours? Yes. I. All right. So I have, making a sudden change because of what Christian said, but I have Hercules, The Sweet Hereafter, Wag the Dog. Men in Black, and Jackie Brown as my winner. All right. Well, I'm making changes on both of yours. I didn't know if Hercules was adapted or not. So I, mean, I don't know. I consider it to be because they're myth. In that case, I'm going to consider it too. Um, so I do, after listening to both of you, I have a full lineup now. So number five, I have Contact. Number four, Hercules. Number three, I have Jackie Brown. Number two, apologies, LA Confidential. And number one, I have The Sweet Hereafter. Oh, what do you know? Yeah. You said LA Confidential, though, <laughs> in my podcast. <laughs> the shoe. All right, let's move on to best original screenplay. Christian, take us away. Okay, this was this is very hard for me. There's a yes. lot. So a lot of things are going to get cut. Don't come for me. Don't yell at me. My number five is Titanic. Look, <laughs> look. I would a tough be category. I would be like, come on. It's a good screenplay. All right. <sighs> anyway, number four is the full Monty. Number three is as good as it gets. Number two, Boogie Nights. And the winner, of course, Good Will Hunting. I also have Titanic at my number five. I have to include it, though, because like we said in the last podcast, <laughs> It takes a lot to write a screenplay that encompasses so much and, you know, has that story. Um, and then Eve's Bayou, Boogie Nights, The Game, and my winner is Google Hunting. Yeah, the last episode, I gave the Academy so much shit for not nominating Titanic and screenplay. It's also my number five. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not a uh, so I barely have it in there. Uh, number four, I have Eve's Bayou. Number three, Princess Mononoke. Oh. Hmm. Number two, Goodwill Hunting. <gasps> number one is Boogie Nights. Oh. oh. I love Boogie Nights. I'm sorry. But it was close. It was very close. All right. Moving on to best supporting performance. Christian, take us away here. All right. At number 10, I have James Woods for Hercules. We don't like James Wood these days, but you know what? <laughs> For Hercules, that that is a committed performance there. All right. I got a hunk of moussaka out of my throat, huh? 
All right. Number nine, I have Gloria Stewart for Titanic. Number eight, Billy Conley for Mrs. Brown. Number seven, Debbie Morgan for Eve's Bayou. Number six, Mark Addy for The Full Monty. Number five, Billy Zane for Titanic. Number four, Minnie Driver for Goodwill Hunting. Number three, Julianne for Boogie Nights. Number two, Edward James Olmos for Selena. And number one, my winner, Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. Okay. Um, I start with Joan Cusack and In and Out. Oh, I forgot to mention In and Out. That's, oh, that's yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, and then Deborah Karaunger for the game. Gray Kinnear for As Good as It Gets. Bill Connolly for Mrs. Brown. Debbie Morgan in East Bayou. Minnie Driver and Gilgo Hunting. Gloria Stewart in Titanic. Julianne Moore, Boogie Nights. Edwards James Edward James Olmos and Selena and. My winner is Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. So our top threes are the same. <laughs> very nice. So that every category from here on out was very difficult for me to pin stuff down. But I'm yeah, noticing that I, I'm noticing that we have a lot of similarities here for the most part. Um, number ten, I have Robert Forster for Jackie Brown. Number nine, Gloria Stewart for Titanic. Number eight, Gabrielle Rose for The Sweet Hereafter. Number seven. From Goodwill Hunting, Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, number six, Debbie Morgan for Eve's Bayou. Number five, Minnie Driver from Goodwill Hunting. Number four, Edward James Olmos for Selena. Number three, Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. Number two, Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights. And number one, of course, Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, me nervous there. <laughs> <laughs> we all agree on that one. Yes. All right, let's go on to best lead performance. Okay, this is hard. Again, I had to chop some people off, so mm -hmm. here we go. At number 10, I have Journey Smollett for Eve's Bayou. At number nine, way down number nine, Mr. Leo DiCaprio for Titanic. Yeah. At number eight, Jody for Contact. Number seven, Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. Number six, Ian Holm for The Sweet Hereafter. Number five, Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting. Number four, good old Jack for As Good As It Gets. Number three, Judy Dench for Mrs. Brown. Whoa. <laughs> and number two, Kate Winslet for Titanic. And my winner is J-Lo for Selena. I thought it might be. Good pick. Toby? Um, I start with Helen Hunt and As Good As It Gets. Jack Nicholson and As Good As It Gets. Uh, Jodie Foster in Contact, Jim Carrey in Liar Liar, Judy Dench in Mrs. Brown, Leo in Titanic, uh, Tony Wing, Happy Together, the lead in Happy Together, um, J-Lo in Selena, Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting, and my winner is Kate Winslet for Titanic. Yeah, had to leave some big ones off. But my number 10, Journey Smollett for Eve's Bayou. Number nine, I went with Samuel L. Jackson for Jackie Brown because there is a lot of that movie that is just focused on him. And I, I'd say he's a co-lead. Um, number eight, Jodie Foster for Contact. Number seven, Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. Number six, Jennifer Lopez for Selena. <laughs> for, yeah. For our listeners, Christian just literally hit the camera with uh, a shoe there. I apologize. It's tough. Number five, Leo for Titanic. Number four, Tony Lung for Happy Together. 
Number three, Pam Greer for Jackie Brown. Number two, Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting. And I agree with Toby on this one. Kate Winslet is my winner for Titanic. Huh. All right. Interesting. Surprised? I mean, <laughs> honestly, if anything, Kate Winslet should have just won for Titanic. She should have. And then she wouldn't have to win for the reader. Literally, like if she won for Titanic, she never would have won for the reader. Mm-hmm. Meryl would have won. Meryl would not have won for the Iron Lady. The Iron Lady. Viola would have won. And then we would have been at, we would have been evened out. There you go. We've been perfect. Life connects. Balance. Viola can have two. Well, Viola would have two. We'd be balanced. There you go. All right. Moving on to best director. Christian, take us away here. All right. I have number five, David Fincher for the game. Number four, Casey Lemons for Eve's Bayou. Number three, Gus Van Sant for Goodwill Hunting. Number two, Paul Thomas Anderson for Boogie Nights. And James Cameron, number one for Titanic. One of the best directed films ever. All right, so I start with Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights. Tarantino for Jackie Brown. Gus Van Sant for uh, Goodwill Hunting. David Fincher for The Game. And of course, James Cameron for Titanic. I'm making a change. I'm making a change. Yeah, so I made a last second little change here. Number five, I have Curtis Hansen for LA Confidential. Number four, I added in Gus Van Sant here for Goodwill Hunting. Um, yeah, you two mentioned him. Got, got to have him. Number three, Hayao Miyazaki for Princess Mononoke. Number two, Paul Thomas Anderson for Boogie Nights. And number one, like Christian said, of course, James Cameron for Titanic. Nice. All right, moving on to the big one, our top 10 of the year, best picture. Christian, take us away here. Okay, so this, I want to say that there's a lot of 97 movies out there, okay? I would not call this totally finalized on my part. Maybe the top five, but not the entire thing. So at my number 10, I have The Sweet Hereafter. Number nine, The Full Monty. Number eight, As Good As It Gets. Number seven, Anastasia. Number six, Starship Troopers. Number five, Hercules. Number, yeah, number four, Boogie Nights. Number three, Goodwill Hunting. Number two, Selena. And number one, it had to be near far, wherever you are, LA Confidential. <laughs> it is Titanic. Wow. Very nice. All right, uh, so mine starts with a 10, Boogie Nights, uh, Princess Mononoke, Happy Together, Jackie Brown, Liar Liar, The Game, Home Alone 3, Selena, Goodwill Hunting, and Titanic. Of course. <laughs> All right. Christian, get the shoe ready. <laughs> My number 10 is Selena. At least it made top 10. Okay. <laughs> number nine is Jackie Brown. Uh, number eight is Happy Together. Number seven, The Sweet Hereafter. Number six, LA Confidential. Uh, number five, Hercules. Number four, Goodwill Hunting. Number three, Princess Mononoke. Number two, Boogie Nights. And number one, the deserving winner is Titanic. Look at that. Yep. 
So this year, I think we would say that not only did the Academy get it right, they got it very right. Not only our pick for the best picture nominees for all three of us, our, our number one of 1997 is Titanic. It's what she deserves. It's my personal favorite best picture winner. There you go. Very, hmm. very nice. Um, so yeah, that's what we've got for 1997. Very, very good year. Some of these were very difficult to pin down as we mentioned, but as always, thank you for listening as we've gone through these, um, as always rate review, subscribe on Apple podcasts. If you can, uh, only five-star reviews, of course, please, <laughs> but find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd, um, Thanks as always to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our theme music for this. And be sure to tune in next time. We will have an episode releasing in, you know, December coming up here. It will be Christmas themed, at least in some way. So be on the lookout for that. That's all we're going to say. Toby, thanks as always for joining us. Any final thoughts from you? Um, I had a great time as always. Love watching movies, of course. (laughs) Perfect. Christian, any final thoughts from you? I wanted to give a hint at the thing, but I guess Christmas in some part is fine. Uh, Give another one. Give another one. Well, we're going to have a wonderful time doing this in small town America where we follow an everyman, much like our dear host, Brett. There you go. As if that wasn't obvious. Well... I don't know. Some people say couldn't get the cruise ship from hell from the last episode. <laughs> this is true. Either way, be on the lookout for that and be sure to tune in then. Bye.